Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Good morning. Time for your Mediated Conversation this Tuesday morning. Over the last few years, one of the most consistent claims made by people who phone in to SAFM and SAFM Sunrise is that foreign nationals are taking the jobs of South Africans. Often they point to the informal sector, and particularly to people who are selling goods at spas or shops on the streets or are working in the street areas in townships or outside of formal shops or anywhere. Spanono phoned us last week and asked a simple question. Why are there so many foreign nationals in these shops? And I think I should say, I think there's some evidence of this happening in suburban areas too. If you go to almost any shopping centre, you'll find a kiosk for cell phone accessories it often seems to me the people running these kiosks are from Bangladesh or Pakistan. So, what is happening in our society that has created this, and what impact does it have? Firstly, this morning, Pat Horn is an organizer in the sector and works for women in informal employment as an in, and is an international coordinator at StreetNet. Rosheda Muller is the president of the South African Informal Traders Alliance, and Taboho Kass is uh, from the Institute of Chartered Entrepreneurs. This is your mediated conversation this morning. We start then with Pat Horn. Pat, good morning and thank you for your time. Good morning, Stephen. Uh, great to all these listeners. There's a repeated claim that the informal sector, so informal shops, spas or shops, people providing services on the street are all from other countries. Is that claim true? Um, okay, Stephen, firstly, uh, I just want to update the language a bit. The question of informal sector um, that terminology has now been uh, replaced in the International Labour Organization by informal economy. And the informal economy has many sectors in it. So you're talking about the retail sector of the informal economy, which consists of both spas, shops, and, um, uh, and street vendors and informal traders. Um, basically, statistical evidence does not support the now widely held perception that informal trade is dominated by non-South Africans in general, in any particular city, um, uh, in, in any particular sort of retail sector, um, etc. But there are, because of the fact that uh, informal trade is, is operates in a decentralized way, there are certain re- uh, localized spaces where this is the case, and then other localized spaces where it's not the case. So. I think what has happened there, which leads to the kind of question that you got, is that unemployment has increased uh, dramatically since COVID. And this has led to more entrance into the informal economy, all sectors, the retail sector, the uh, waste picking sector, the artisanal mining sector, etc. All of those sectors have experienced a pressure of more people not uh, non-South Africans, but more people ending those sectors. And as more people have entered those sectors or have looked for opportunities in those sectors, um, the the competition for resources has increased. So the competition for public space, when it comes to informal traders, particularly those working in, in open space, the competition for neighborhood markets, when it comes to something like spaza shops, the competition for access to waste materials when it comes to to waste pickers, both on landfill sites as well as as in the streets. And this competition for public space has led to then more resentment to those uh, non-South Africans that are there, some of who have been there for a very long time, because there isn't evidence of 
a large number of new entrants into that sector. But what there certainly is, is, is a greater competition now um, between people in the sector, between South Africans and non-South Africans, um, etc. Are there any specific sectors that people concentrate on? So do you find people from particular countries being involved in particular sectors in the informal economy, for example? Well, you know, everybody in the informal economy makes use of personal connections. So sometimes if there's somebody from a particular country in, in a certain sector, like I can talk about street barbers you know, in, in Durban, uh, there's a large number of, of um, Central Africans there from uh, the DRC, Rwanda, Burundi. And so when, uh, you know, then, you know, through kinship networks and so on, uh, then you'll get more people from that sector. And, you know, what's happened over the years in Durban, now this is over a long period, you know, for the past 15 years or so, is that the clients prefer to go to Central African barbers. They think they're better. So you'll find people who came to South Africa as refugees. They were port captains or surgeons, but they couldn't get a job. So that they had to do what other people do when they don't have jobs, is go to the informal. So sometimes you'll find those kinds of things in a localized sense, um, I don't think one can make any grand um, generalization about any of it, to be honest. And so, um, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. The kind of life that people are leading. So they're working on a street, essentially. They'll have kind of a patch, I imagine, or a section that they work on every day. But what kind of life is that? It must be quite a tough life. Okay, it's a very tough life, and it's not a good alternative. As I've said, people that are unemployed are looking for work there because they don't have another job, they're not doing it because they think it would be lovely to do that. And most of the evidence shows that most people in the informal economy are not there out of choice. There's a sort of a myth that some, some middle-class people have. They're all trying to evade uh, regulation and taxation. That's actually been shown not to be true. I think the issue is this brings us on to the question of uh, the, uh, the regulation uh, and the policies around this. And the, the poor life that is being led by people in the informal economy is exacerbated by a policy vacuum and including in the regulation of, of migrant work in the informal economy. So this is the responsibility of the Department of Employment and Labor and the Department of Home Affairs, while DERCO and the Department of Justice are also responsible for general migrant rights and, and, and human rights. So in the Department of Home Affairs, the Immigration Act is, is, a, is very behind. It firstly uses really poor language. It uses terms like illegal foreigners, which I think is a, a highly unprofessional kind of language to use in a law. Um, but secondly, it has no permit for own account workers. And most of the people in the informal economy, particularly in, in the retail sector, are own account workers. They're workers that work for themselves. What the Immigration Act has is a work permit for people that have employers. Um, and then they can get those work permits once they can prove who the employer is, they can prove the contract, and they're supposed to have rare skills for that. They're not supposed mm. to be able to get that unless they're rare skills because there is a limitation on non-South Africans getting into any job uh, in the formal labor market. The other kind of work permit that exists is so for entrepreneurs who have resources and who have to put in a, uh, um, they have to put in uh, five million as a, as a deposit and then they can get a work permit. So there's no work permit 
for this category of economic migrants who, who are not necessarily um, uh, refugees or, um, or, uh, uh, or asylum seekers. Um, so, so there is no work permit for them. The, the Department of Employment and Labor has recently um, drafted a national labor migration policy. This was prompted, precipitated by the violence in the trucking industry. But it goes beyond that, and it's a very good document. It has a strong focus on the constitutional obligations of the government, their legal obligations, as well as the United Nations obligations in terms of the Geneva Convention, their obligations in the African Union and in SADC. But And it recognizes economic migrants, but it then doesn't go on to actually uh, specifying a strategy or a key area of intervention which is the biggest part of that policy. It leaves out the people in the informal economy. So there's a lot of confusion then when you trickle down to uh, local government level as to what happens on the ground. And because of the confusion which is there and the policy confusion, local governments demand work permits which don't exist. Even the Small Business Development Department writes into their regulations that people have to have a, a work permit mm. and it doesn't exist. Pat- so that means that corrupt government officials come in and offer to turn a blind eye to a requirement that doesn't exist by giving people the space, uh, non-South Africans, to operate in certain areas uh, in exchange for the payment of bribes. Pat Horn, I'm afraid we are going to have to leave it there. Thank you. International coordinator at StreetNet International and also from a woman in employment, woman in informal employment. You were there, CFM. Your mediated conversation continues this morning around this quite difficult issue around foreign nationals in our informal economy. Rasheda Muller is the president of the South African Informal Traders Alliance. Rasheda, good morning. Good morning. I just need to correct that. I'm the president of the Informal Economy Development Forum. Right. I used to be the president of yes. CIDA, yes. My apologies. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right. Do you find that um, people, that many people from other countries are working in this, in this, in this part of the informal economy? Absolutely. Yeah. In South Africa in particular, we have very, very many uh, informal traders from across Africa mainly, and then uh, with regard to shop owners and like spazas, we also have the Bangladeshis and the Pakistanis, who is quite prevalent at the moment. Yes, there is a claim sometimes that they are better at running shops than South Africans. Uh, people, South Africans, must be very angry at that claim. Absolutely, they are angry. But then one needs to look at why this is so. And and that is so because of the apartheid legacy. Our previously disadvantaged uh, people were not allowed to own shops. You know, it, we were, uh, real, uh, you know, really in the domestic workers' field, in the mining, in the, what do you call that, the lower economic thriving areas, because there was no real um, ownership for us in retail or in, like in being a shop owner, not even talking about an informal trader. We were harassed and, and chased with by the law enforcement all the years. Personally, I am in the trade for 35 years, 
and I know about the hardships that we, as the previously disadvantaged, has experienced to try to become business people. But we now have the opportunity, and yes, we are inundated. And um, I have done some research across the country with the very many uh, leadership in the informal sector of South Africa. And there is a huge cry out there that due to uh, extortion, bribery, that they find that the majority of the uh, the foreign traders, and I don't like the word foreign, I'm totally against uh, xenophobia. We are Africa, I do realize that, and we need uh, opportunities to survive. But uh, that is not really the case. And we need to bring local government in here and hold them accountable for what is currently the status quo, especially in the main cities of South Africa. What impact does it have on South Africans in the informal sector then? I mean, would you say that people are being pushed out? I wouldn't say they're pushed out, but I'm saying that there's not enough opportunities for them. There's not enough skills development to bring the informal sector, uh, you know, up to speed in the competition that uh, Comrade Pat has been talking about. So they need the necessary skills. They need the enabling environment. They need to be taught how to be thriving and this we should be doing from a government perspective. Our organization as the IEDF are very much involved in the upskilling and training of the entrepreneur to be able to do better business. Um, are you expecting this dynamic to actually get worse? I mean, are more people going to come here? And if you look at where they are at the moment, life is very difficult in Zimbabwe, for example. So are you expecting this problem to become, well, whatever we call it, this dynamic to, to move more strongly? We're going to see, see more of this. Well, that is unpredictable. But what I do see is that the, in, that the, the, the organizations such as CITA, uh, IEDF, and organizations representing informal traders need to be in deep and focused discussions with the government to ensure the growth and the upskilling of our South African people to in, so that they can thrive and have a better life. Because at the moment, it is, it is terrible out there. The informal traders do not have an enabling environment. They do not have toilet facilities and covers, and yet government is charging fees for informal trade. So, yes, some hard knocking needs to be done, and I think it's starting this very Friday as we're having a focus section with the Department of Small Business Development face-to-face in Cape Town, but all over the country has been invited to discuss exactly the way forward for the informal economy. Rashida Muller, thank you very much indeed. Chair of the President's Council on the Informal Economy in South Africa. In a moment, we'll hear from Tabojo Kast from the Institute of Chartered Entrepreneurs.
Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continue your Mediated Conversation, eight minutes to nine, the time around the claim that there are uh, more and more people from other countries in our informal economy. Tabojo Kass is from the Institute of Chartered Entrepreneurs, been in the small business space for many years. Tabojo, good morning. Good morning, Stephen. In many countries, immigrants will come into that country and they'll form a small business, they'll run a shop, they'll do something, and they often lead to more economic activity and the theory goes that that is good for everyone. Is that happening here? No, that's a short answer. And, and for a good reason, because you've got immigrants who come onto the, onto the shores. Most of them are more survivalist type of uh, immigrants. In other words, those are people who just want to eke out a living, even if it's just making sure that there's food on the plate uh, for that particular day. And 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 with that type of uh, mentality, you'll never find uh, immigrants who are formally into the system, just as you'd have had uh, Steve Jobs' uh, uh, parents, uh, and 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 what we know what happened with Steve Jobs and Apple today. So the kind of immigrants that you attract are those that normally fall onto the survivalist economy, and therefore compete, find competition with those who are also desperate for jobs and who also look at uh, sustaining their livelihoods through uh, uh, hawking stuff. And, and therefore that competition is rife. And, 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 and it is to be ex- expected because we do have porous borders. We have seen reports of uh, individuals crammed out in trucks or uh, even in houses uh, around Pumalang and all that. Hey, when I talk about individuals, I'm talking about foreigners and mainly those from the uh, East, uh, East Asia, uh, Pakistan and, and Bangladesh and so forth. And, and they are competing for re- limited resources with locals who are desperate for jobs. So then what should the right response be? I mean, okay, closing borders, but very difficult to do, has, has always been difficult to do. Um, other things that we could do, uh, formalizing some kind of different government policy. All in all, uh, I, I worry that tensions are rising in this area and something needs to be done. This needs to be, if you can't stop the movement of people, and I don't know if you can stop the movement, but you need to manage it. You're, you're quite right, Stephen. And, and South Africa is not the only country that is, uh, uh, you know, experiencing this type of problem. I mean, we've got Botswana also. But the question is, the, the difference is, what do the politicians, what, what does government do to respond to such challenges? In our case, we find that unlike in Botswana, where there are clear rules in terms of how immigrants can participate in the economy, uh, we don't seem to, 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 to have that. And we've got instances where individuals uh, just set up shop where they ought not to be shooting up and therefore um, putting pressure on the uh, on the public infrastructure it could be drainage systems uh, in, in in the cities it could be water uh, because then they have to go and fetch water to to conduct their business uh, ablution no lack of ablution facilities Jobek is gradually going down the drain because of problems that could largely also owe itself to the fact that we've got people who don't care about the environment that they operate within which because they know that it is not their permanent home and therefore you know there's no need to invest in, in making sure that the environment is taken care of it seems to me that leadership and policy really matter here and then you have this sort of um, situation where life on the street for anyone is hard. You have people who can't get permits, so they end up having to pay bribes. All sorts of things will happen. Very difficult things. Does this require better leadership from government and from all of the ministries involved? It does, but you know, I, I also push back and the communities themselves look, need to look into themselves because oftentimes we allow these things to fester and then we blame government. For example, 
how do you explain somebody in Soweto who owns a piece of uh, uh, outbuilding and then they decide to lend it to an uh, unregistered uh, foreigner who who doesn't have the papers, uh, never mind the, 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 the permit to run a business. And they're just happy to see that person pay the rent on time and even if it might be also, uh, uh, you know, um, um, high rentals, and they're just happy to pick up the spoils. And, and, and they have to turn around and say, look, this foreigners it's it's a foreigners problem no it is our problem as, as south africans we want to encourage this type of thing but then turn a blind eye when it doesn't work at, uh, when it works against us so government yes has got a role to play but there's so much that government can do remember um as uh, professor putulima donzela once said at the conference uh, on, on constitution last season our constitution is not self-executing it requires us as individuals as citizens to make sure that we become vigilant to make sure that we encourage uh, adherence to the laws, including bylaws, to make sure that we, we conduct not only ourselves and or expect those also who conduct who conduct businesses to actually adhere to the laws. But when we break the very same laws by allowing people who are not registered to conduct shops in our own spaces, we cannot turn around and blame government. It's also all about money. Someone is letting someone stay in their backyard because they're just desperate for the cash, just desperate to get through the next month. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not government that's saying do that. Government is not holding out a gun on anybody say accept somebody to come and stay in your backyard and with all the consequences that are brought into 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 the fork. And the people who are coming here are also desperate. To, to, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you look, you can see the desperate. Even some of them, I believe, they're not even paid. They're being paid by in-kind type of uh, remuneration. So, uh, and and they sleep inside the stores themselves. And then to also maximize the profit, that's why you end up seeing an encouragement of illicit economy or 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 or, or counterfeit goods manufacturing and being sold sold through this uh, establishment. And so it's a multiplier effect in terms of criminality. And and I hear the the, the first uh, guest speaking about uh, an informal or or, or, or in, uh, informal economy. We're saying not only an informal economy, but also I mean illicit economy first as an environment where there's no uh, rule of law. Thank you very much indeed to Borho Kass from the Institute for Chartered Entrepreneurs bringing an end to your mediated conversation this morning. My thanks also to Roshia de Mullet, Chair of the President's Council on the Informal Economy in South Africa and starting us off today, Pat Horn, International Coordinator at StreetNet, also works with women in the employ- in the informal economy. A lot to look at on this issue, not the last word on this issue, but there's so many different dynamics at play as to how and why this is happening in our society. It also reflects on what's happening in other societies as well. It all has a big impact. A lot going on today as always. Uh, I am expecting a lot more news to come and uh, SAFM of course will bring you, keep you up to date with all of the events of the morning. You'll hear uh, from various people as they describe the day to you and of course you'll find out a lot more about the world just by listening to SAFM this morning from Zelma, from Banyana, from Mdu, from Stanza, myself. Look after yourself. Have a good Tuesday. It is a sort of strange week because of the school holidays. We'll